Welcome back to the Warhammer Lorecast. My name is Naked Mango. And with me, as always, I guess I can't say as always, today I have a new host. Today my host is none other than Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Do a Nicolas Cage impression. Do it. Uh, hi, hi, hi everybody. That <laughs> like, was Elvis whispering. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> it's like Bill Clinton makes with Nicholas Gate. Ah, uh, good times. As you guys can tell by his, we'll call it a voice. My co-host today is none other than all, Almighty Crit. That's me. I'm him. I'm that guy. I'm the Almighty. <laughs> this week we'll be talking about a very special journey, one in which I. And I know many of you have had at the very least heard about a story that really teaches you the value of humanity. Here's a quote and crit. I want you to guess what we're going over. Okay. It considered trying to explain their error to them, but what would be the use? They would only go away with hurt feelings. You can't always expect people or squirrels to be rational. Um, the squirrel part threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we still talking about the Great Crusades? <laughs> if anyone got it, today we're talking about the Brave Little Toaster. Fuck you. <laughs> that was a quote from Thomas M. Dish from the Brave Little Toaster. So yeah, anyway, the Great Crusade. Oh, uh, uh, I hope. Uh, you know what? I hope we get to talk about toaster fucking this episode. I almost saved that quote for a Mechanicus episode, <laughs> but I thought it was, it's about a journey, just like the Brave Little Toast. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I'm over this. <laughs> it's been 10 minutes. <laughs> anyway, after the events of the Age of Strife and the Unification Wars, the Emperor was like, all right. Time to find my homies, my peeps, my, my brosexuals. <laughs> Time for humanity to reach out to the stars and become one absolute unit again. And for that reason, Big Daddy Imps went into a weirdly well-lit room and acquired some of his own DNA in a cup. <laughs> so he could grow suns in a tube like it was Half-Life. I don't know if anybody's ever played that game. <laughs> The Primarchs were bred to be perfect. Perfect fighters, perfect leaders, perfect diplomats, things like that. Each one was supposed to embody some aspect of war. One was the greatest strategist of all time, in quotations of all time. One represented like honor and combat. One was like spooky, scary terror times. He went rawr and everybody goes, ah. <laughs> but because of all of that, the Chaos Gods aren't scared of much, but every time Dad steps out for cigarettes, they wind up with, like, bruises and bloodied faces. So the idea of 20 mini-imps was not kosher with them. They were not about it. So naturally, the ruinous powers were like, hey, man, you know, uh, fuck you. And spirited away the Primarchs. So, so, <laughs> what you're saying is the Chaos Gods turn around and went... Mm, it was bad enough when there was one of you and now there's 20 of you. Yeah, this is not going to be a, 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 you know, we're not going to let this happen. And they just fucking poofed all of them away. 
100% the Chaos Gods went full Sully meme from Monsters Incorporated. I don't know if anybody gets that, but it's the meme where it's just Sully going, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> A fun little side fact is that years later, the genetic sequencing was studied by a Raven Guard apothecary and a Magos genitor of the Mechanicum, and they discovered that certain individual Primarchs had their sequencing messed with. Some had things deleted while others had certain things added. For instance, Subject 6 had canine DNA added. Do you remember why 6 matters? Uh, Is it because 6 comes after 5 but before 7? That's crazy. I'm so happy you can do <laughs> what second grade counting. Uh, no, number six is space wolves. Space wolves. Now, there's no proof that that truly matters. Subject at, at, at no point nowhere that has been written down or anything like that is subject six said to be the same person who was given who took over company six. It's just coincidence. That actually, I can't wait to get to it when we start talking about different factions, because I would love to talk about the Primarchs and potential gene sequencing with them. We get to particular Primarchs, but or when we get to different factions, but I'm really interested to see what the Blood Angels Primarch was mixed with, because you naturally want to say angel, but I'm saying I'm thinking something like a bird or something like a bird of prey. Duck. Duck. Needless to say, <laughs> despite protective runes and the most powerful Geller sealed that at the time had ever been seen, the Chaos Gods managed to open a warp gate in the incubation chamber where they were. The Primarchs were scattered all across the universe, like the Dragon Balls, right when you need them. <laughs> this was, of course, a huge setback to the Emperor. But... After a few pints of Ben and Jerry's and bitch watching some Joe Rogan, the Emperor decided to pull himself up by his bootstraps and use the thousands of Primark lights, in other words, free version of the Primarchs that had already been created from the gene seeds. He had already started making space marines. That's not technically true. He waited a little bit, but he used what was left of the Primark gene seeds that he had created to create many versions of those many versions. And that's how he started making the Space Marines. Fun fact number two, the Custodes gene seed was actually made from an undoctrinated Primarch gene seed. So basically they were created with a gene seed that was one step closer to the Emperor as opposed to all the other Space Marines, which is why they are uh, bigger, tougher, stronger than your average Space Marine. They are essentially one step closer to the Emperor. And these are the ones that are literally guarding the Emperor and... Yeah, these are the, the quote-unquote royal guards. Well, of course, he made the, the ones that are going to be protecting him the bigger, badder ones. Well, we talked we talked a little bit about how the, fir- the first and second founding and how I'm pretty sure the Custodes weren't part of either. That's because they were created slightly before what was technically the first founding. They were created to my knowledge, while the Primarchs were in incubation, but before the Primarchs had disappeared, which is why they had their own little special gene seed that they were born from. At this point, the Emperor gathered his forces and the Crusade began. The combination of Astartes, Imperial Army, and the Mechanicum would bring the Imperial Truth to all planets previously abandoned. 
after the Age of Strife and all of that had happened. And arguably worse, it enforced what was known as the Imperial Compliance, which is literally exactly what it sounds like. Just fully, this is the Imperial Truth. Yeah, but my grandpappy said that, you know, wolves are real. Die in a hole. You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) These are literally a reenactment of the Crusades in medieval times. 100%. They just, they would go to a planet and they would shake hands and be like, hi, we work for the emperor. Who's the emperor? I'm so glad you asked. He is the emperor. He is the main man, the big squeeze, Papa Cheese himself. Well, we don't really feel like following him. Guess I'll have to burn your village to the ground. (laughs) Also, all of your opinions are wrong. It's not bad enough that I'm going to burn everything (laughs) that you believe in. Also, you're wrong. (laughs) As the village burns behind them. I just want to make it very clear. We have bigger guns, which makes us right. (laughs) (laughs) Huh. At the height of the crusade, there were over 4,000 expedition of fleets charged with conquering and maintaining planets, as well as over 60,000 secondary groups that regulated compliance. Basically, the expedition fleets were just that. They were exploratory. They were the ones conquering the planets on the front lines for the most part. And those 60,000 secondary groups weren't necessarily fleets. They were just that groups. They would come in behind or they would go and help out the expedition fleets whenever they were in combat or fly around making sure that the imperial truth stayed active on certain planets they were secondary groups just that the emperor led the crusade personally until they went xenos hunting and clapped back at a massive orc but it was one of the bigger battles in the crusade and a huge kind of turning point for the crusade in the grand scheme of 30 K itself. I would argue that it truly didn't matter. It was a turning point, but only because of what happened after, not necessarily because of what happened during after they had defeated the wall, the emperor named his favorite son, Horus Primarch of the Luna wolves war master of the crusade and went back to Terra on a secret project that we later learned was called the Webway project. The webway, for those of you who don't know, so the way space travel works is you enter the warp where time essentially doesn't matter and you navigate the warp using psychers and trying to find, it's really hard to explain, but think of, they essentially use other psychers as beacons, with the emperor being a massive lighthouse. Now during 30K, there were other things that they could use, but these were very briefly active because of war and betrayals and stuff like that. So for the most part, psychers essentially use other psychers to find out where they are in the warp and navigate to where they want to go. So it's a psycher GPS. Basically. The webway is something that only the Aldari know how to use. It is, it's a part of the warp, but not. It's kind of like in between the warp and reality. Yet again, it's very hard to explain because it's hard to explain what the warp is because it's not real, but it is, but it isn't, but it is. The webway is just a safe portion of the warp, basically, that the Aldari used to travel instead of the warp. It's where the Drakari actually live. The Drakari live in the webway because Slanesh pretty much can't get to them most of the time. 
Why do I feel like there's canonical reference points that you're going to bring up much later on where Slanesh did get to them? So far, Slanesh has not been able to get to them, but there is a massive gate whose name escapes me. But there's a huge gate that leads from the city that the Drukari live in. It's kind of like their front door that they never use. It's locked because it leads directly into chaos. And for the past couple thousand years, there's been something beating the shit out of the other side of it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's 40k lore. We'll get to that someday. (laughs) (laughs) During this time, the emperor also restructured the Council of Terra and created the Adeptus Administratum. This was to shift the Imperium from his direct rule and it was supposed to be something better for the people, unless of it being him being the emperor and him being their, you know, complete and utter ruler. So everybody had to come ask him for his opinion. He restructured the entirety of the Imperium to where he was still in charge because he's the emperor, but he wanted the people to be in charge. So he created the council and the administratum so everybody would have a voice. So basically it's like the U.S. governmental system if it worked <laughs> yes except it also didn't work so <laughs> uh, oh, okay so it's exactly like the US exa- yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but shout out to Gullyman he actually caught a lot of a lot of people make fun of Gullyman but he was the first loyal Primarch to be resurrected and he like day one made his way back to Terra and raised that motherfucker to the ground he killed off like half the council of Terra because they were corrupted he killed off like gene stealer cults demonic cults he like burned Terra to the ground he went on it was literally called the purge because he <laughs> purged Terra of all sense of heresy or all sense of what quote unquote heresy so like he got mad props from me again 40k lower we'll go over that some other time the issue with everything that was going on was the emperor had a lot of plans but he put a little too much trust in people his secrecy and tendency to delegate would end up working against him. Surprise, surprise. This was actually one of the things that Chaos used to corrupt those that would betray him. Because they were like, well, he's not telling you things because he doesn't trust you. When from the Emperor's point of view, he's like, for instance, the Primarchs, he's like, you're my sons. I've raised you well. I believe in you. And then he left and they're like, daddy doesn't love us. <laughs> This eventually led to what would be called the Horus Heresy and would ultimately end the Great Crusade, devolving into a massive, bloody civil war. Absolutely massive ships were created to transport everyone and everything needed to crusade. And we're talking, I mean, pretty big ships. So, yeah, I did a little bit of research on how big these damn ships were. And a lot of different things, we have larger ships, but that does not... That does not dwarf these by that much. You know, I mean, the Death Star and things like that, you know, famous ships and media, there are larger ones, but these things are built for war, unlike the other ships. The general consensus, according to the Warhammer 40K wiki and fans across the world, is that the escort vessels are anywhere from 750 meters and three kilometers in length. 
And the smallest ship, being the battleships, is anywhere between six and eight kilometers. Miles in length, okay? These things are massive spaceships. For anyone who can't math and only speaks in freedom, in American Eagle, <laughs> about five kilometers is roughly like 3.1 miles or something like that to give you a general idea of the size of these things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, 750 meters and three kilometers. That is a stupidly large ship. And the escort vessels are the ships that usually they brought the space Marines and combat troops on, isn't it? Oh, yeah. From what I understood. Yeah. Of course, they all did the same basic thing. But their general purpose most of the time was, yeah, dropping off troops or carrying tanks. Different ships had different purposes. Different fleets had different purposes. So, yeah. I mean, these things are ridiculous. And I found a little bit more in the research, which we'll talk about after the mid break with these ships. But these things are equipped for just Death Star level destruction. Oh, yeah. There's something called Exterminatus, which is very it's talked about a lot and it's used a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, not really. Most ships, even just like a merchant class of vessels, have the ability to perform Exterminatus which basically means they send nukes into a planet's orbit and destroy its atmosphere so everything on that planet dies. I only bring that up because it sounds like a lot, but again, that's something that merchant vessels can do. In the grim dark future of 40k, war. Let's see, this is ridiculous. A merchant ship has the nuclear weapon system equipped. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, please continue. We have massive ass ships and fleets. Go ahead. What was kind of cool was that the former rulers and kings and things of Terra that the Emperor had defeated whenever he was during the Unification Wars when he was conquering Earth, he actually offered a choice. It wasn't much of a choice. It was basically he would offer them a warrant of trade they would essentially become the leaders of like merchant vessels and merchant groups and stuff like that and become what was later called the rogue trader militant or they could die right there <laughs> most i would say quite a few were like honor i will not sully my name and he killed him right there and then but quite a few a decent amount chose to accept the warrant of trade now, shockingly, most of them disappeared alone in space. Pretty much what he used them for, they were called rogue traders. And they just, they were just that. They were traders that they were their own little businesses. But during the crusade, they were forced to scout far ahead of the expeditionary fleets. So they pretty much never had any hope of rescue or anything like that. So if they came into contact with Xenos or a hostile planet or pirates or anything like that, it was fight or die. So most of them died and there's just no record of what happened to them. But even with all of that, progress was extremely slow. It's a big ass galaxy. You're not going to conquer it. Rome wasn't built in a day. The galaxy wasn't conquered in two. It took three days. <laughs> it took exactly three days to conquer the entire galaxy. Definitely not two millennia going on three. However, it didn't take long before the emperor started finding his primarchs. 
I'll get into the when, the where, and the how when we start going over individual space marine factions. But the first one was, of course, Horus. It's part of the reason why he became the favorite. The Crusade did bring peace to the galaxy, I'll bet Anakin style. Planets were freed from Xenos raids or tyrannical leaders. Superstitions were proven false. However, you still have, you know, your older folk that just refuse the doctrine and continue to follow the old ways. So just people who are like flat earthers, you know, I had to take them into space, show them that the world is round. And they're just like, I believe back in my day when we were going uphill both ways to school, <laughs> the earth was flat. You can't tell me no different. <laughs> After the emperor left for Terra, many Astartes and humans began to pretty much only see their respective Primarchs as worthy of their loyalty. So once the emperor left, because of course recruitment continued to happen, the emperor was already basically a figure of legend. He was on top of a race of trillions of people. So once he was fully gone from the picture, most that were serving Primarchs were just like, that's as close to the top as we're ever going to get. As far as we know, the Emperor isn't all that much to talk about, but I've seen my Primarch in action. I've seen Russ body check three Chaos Demons. Why? Why would I, why would I give the Emperor my time when my Primarch is right here? And that's kind of how the seeds of doubt and betrayal slowly begin to worm their way in. That's this is a very rough idea of the crusade, but like I said, not much happened during the crusade. There were a few arguably important battles that we can talk about a little bit more, but I just wanted to give a very rough draft of the crusade before we got into the heresy, which we will be talking about via individual factions. So from here on out, we're going to start talking about individual space marines, the Xenos that mattered during 30K, things like that. We're going to start seeing stories through their eyes. And we're going to start getting onto the ground. It's going to be less of a general scope. So basically, in a nutshell, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up in a pretty little bow. The Crusades are just what we call them. Crusades. They literally, the Emperor and his armies traveled across the galaxy and space as far as he could and just said, uh, y'all motherfuckers follow me now or death. And then when that was done, he was like, okay, now I need to set up a system of government for these people and everything else. So in a nutshell, the Crusades, his intentions were good, but we know what happens when humans' intentions are good. The Emperor just wanted what was best for humanity, and he went about it in a way that was perfect in theory. When he wrote it on a whiteboard, everything was flawless. But as everybody who's ever studied any form of strategy knows, every plan is perfect until the day it starts. <laughs> and then pretty much, you look up any famous strategist from any age of humanity, that's one of the one of their most famous quotes is some version of that. And I think the issue with the Emperor was he was so busy with his plan and he was so high up above everything else, he just didn't see 
how it was affecting other people. And I think his issue was that he trusted, for instance, his Primarchs, his sons, to be just as logical as him. Well, this is what happens when you start doing gene sequencing and taking shit and adding shit. This is what happens when fathers and children and families in general don't go to fucking therapy or voice (laughs) therapy or like just be like, hey, dad, uh, do you love me? It's okay if you don't. I just need to know. (laughs) Instead of just being like, dad left. I think he's mad at me. I'm going to go, I don't know, destroy three planets. (laughs) Angron. (laughs) So... I do want to add a few things here because we're coming coming pretty close to mid-break time. So I'm going to add a few little tidbits here, things that I noticed during this discussion. So number one, the emperor doesn't get enough props for who he really is. He was able to take his own genetics and create 20 basically superhumans by... Not basically... Definitely well, he definitely did it. Yeah, <laughs> he did 20 starter superhumans. Let's let's add that in there. He, he started with 20. He was able to create 20 superhumans. that were basically supposed to be the embodiment of everything he needed to enact war perfectly. And he even thought far enough ahead that it wasn't just war. Exactly. Political. I mean, regimes. I mean, these there were basically he created 20 perfect humans for jobs. He was like, oh, I need a secretary. I'm going to make the most perfect genetically superior secretary ever to exist. Mm -hmm. We need a president. I'm going to make that. He literally took jobs, made the perfect human for them and went, "Okay, this is a thing now. The man, he's not only a super strategist and has a extremely complex understanding of the warp and the chaos and mankind as as a whole but he's also an extremely intelligent and advanced scientist to be able to create superhuman beings and he didn't just stop with the 20 no he created his own army his own personal protection and then went a step further and created soldiers for his boys he went on to create a super race, essentially. Yeah. I should point out that he didn't. He was part of the science team, but he definitely didn't just like sit in a lab alone. He, he for sure had help. He had a whole fortress under the Himalayans, not fortress, whole lab under the Himalayans. And he had mm. helpers. Like he had a science team. Well, I mean, that were there even then. So he has a team of scientists helping him do this. Okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense. (laughs) But even then, he's still the guy who came up with this concept. He's still the guy, I'm sure, sitting there in the big chair telling the scientists what he wants and where he's expecting splicing and combinations and everything. These people are literally just following orders. So even then, he still gets the props of creating the superhuman race that is the legions and the space marines and the primarchs he created all of this and i can understand after going dark essentially during this time how the space marines were like yeah no the emperor is just a fairy tale because he basically played god Mm -hmm. to mankind for a long period of time and 
yes, we talked briefly about how some people still think he is a god. And it's understandable why they would. But it's also understandable on the flip side now why all of these other space marines and humans are like, yeah, the emperor is a myth because he just seems too OP. OP. Yeah. (laughs) And we see that happen in our own society where we have people who are extremely religious, which regardless which religion, they're extremely religious. And then we have other people that just don't believe in religion because they just can't. They're just like, nah, that doesn't make any sense to me. We see that here in reality. It's even cooler personally to see it kind of reflected into a role-playing game that you can actually break down. I should also point out that at this time, almost no one viewed him as a deity. It was more, oh, the emperor is this incredibly powerful figure. And then once he kind of stepped away from the limelight, everybody was like, but was he really that powerful? I kind of feel like, you know, he only seems that powerful because he has the Primarchs. Well, he made the Primarchs. Did he, though, or did he just find 20 really? You know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Where people just didn't believe that he soloed everything. The legends become myths. The myths become fairy tales. It's, yeah, the de-evolution and dissemination of information. But they were all of them deceived, for another ring was formed. (laughs) Gosh. Well, on that note, I think this is the perfect time for us to go to a mid-break, don't you? Wait, before I forget, um, we need to go to a mid-break. Son of a bitch! Welcome to our mid-break. This is my personal favorite time of the show, because I don't have to think about much. (laughs) How do we start this one off, Chris? Well, I have good news. Are you ready? I am so ready. I have finished the t-shirt designs. Are you ready to hear these t-shirt designs? Finally. (laughs) Are you ready to hear these? Are you ready to hear these? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give them to you in order of when our patrons will receive them. Remember, this is for our 25 and up, which means when you're listening to this episode, the Patreon's already out. So if you want to be a patron, go out and go do it. It, The link will be in the show notes. I'll probably also post it in the discord. Oh, hell yeah. And on the Twitter and everywhere else. So for your first three months, you will be receiving my personal favorite, a blood angels t-shirt. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. I love it. Uh, It's epic. It's, uh, it's kind of like a, it looks like a house sigil with angel wings coming off of the back of it. It's, it's pretty sick. It does look pretty dope. Uh, For month two, you will be receiving a Drukari t-shirt, which also looks pretty dope because it's like in the traditional like bone armor and like the bone headdress and stuff. Drukari, for those of you who don't know, are they're basically space drow. Yeah, and this one looks sick as shit. It does look really <laughs> cool. Uh, next, you're going to be getting uh, at your nine month mark, you'll be getting the Squig Trophy t-shirt, uh, which also looks pretty fucking epic. <laughs> It does, like the longer I look at it, it looks so weird. But I, I want, I want it. <laughs> I want it so bad. I want it. Uh, and then finally, 
you'll be getting uh, our, our personal design here, a t-shirt of the Uwu Space Wolves for your 12-month 12, 12 mark. And uh, it's going to be of none other than the uh, Primark of the Space Wolves. Um, Vilka Fenrika. With some... Uh, I'll the rest. With some really weird... Japanese inspired design here. <laughs> it came out real weird. It look it it works. It I, works. I like it. I, yeah, I I play Space Wolves. I picked this design. I like it. I, if you know anything about Space Wolves, it's kind of weird. But honestly, it, it it's about as close to Russ as we can get with neither of us being professionals. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I, the more I look at it, the more I love it. Uh, even with the weird fucking like alien fish designs that are all over it. We'll see that. That actually makes sense though, because Fenris, the homeworld of the space wolves is a very Viking planet. The only civilized part of it is the Fang where the space wolves live. Everything else is literally Viking longboats and tribes fighting off giant sea serpents and krakens and shit. So this actually makes sense. Son of a bitch. I can't believe it works. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, so there are your t-shirt designs for th- month three, six, nine, and 12. And uh, you have to wait for the epic Uwu Space Wolf shirt until 12 months because it's just that awesome looking. <laughs> Space Wolves. Space Wolves. So yes, there's the exciting news. Patreon is up. It is ready to go. Go there. I know we've been hitting hit up left and right for it. So go there. With that being said, are you ready for my merch? Because I brought two items today. I don't think I'm ready for this jelly. You're not ready for this jelly. My body's too booty delicious. <laughs> so, uh, moving on from your booty delicious, <laughs> uh, I brought something that was really cool and I couldn't pass it up. This comes to us from the Etsy store of Baggy Design. And what it is, is a super durable Space Marine helmet. It is wearable, and the kicker to it is is that you can get it uh, either in a DIY kit or finished, so painted and done. If you get it as a DIY kit where they'll send it to you, you're going to have to rough it up and put all your, your lenses and everything else in and sand it down and paint it yourself, it's only $180 right now. And if you get the fully finished, it is $315. Now, that price does vary depending on the lens you want to get in it. If you want to get the cosplay lens, which is, you know, the red coloring and everything else, you're looking at $280. But if you want to get airsoft mesh or airsoft lenses, the price changes to $295 for the mesh and $315 for the lens. And this is of the Ultramarines. Uh, But you, obviously, you get it unfinished. You can, you know, design it yourself, kind of. So it doesn't have to be the Ultramarines. But it is a sick ass helmet. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be an ultramarine, but I own paint, so it's fine. <laughs> so the only addition to this is that the shipping for this costs a standard flat rate sixty five dollars. So that is item number one, and we will have that in the show notes for you. Item number two is uh, uh is my funny side one. So. For those of you who play Space Marines in your tabletop game, have you ever just wanted a funny ass looking miniature for a sniper? 
Well, look no further, Mango. I have it for you here. The Crackshot Vindicator Assassin miniature comes to us from Lee's printing. That is crack as in C-R-A-C-K shot. (laughs) I meant the Vindicator Assassin. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. It's Vindicare. 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 (laughs) I added a bunch of letters that weren't supposed to be there. So, um, yeah, uh, this is an interesting miniature. It's only $15. It's unpainted, made of resin. And uh, what you have here is uh, a sniper rifle planted firmly between two butt cheeks of a uh, stealthy assassin ninja ready to take a shot. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, Shut up and take my money. (laughs) Uh, I saw this. I was looking for like funny miniatures. I saw this and was like, I don't think you can get any funnier than that. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, nothing says the dark, the grim, dark future of 40K like them thick ass cheeks. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, if you want either one of those items, they'll be in the show notes. And uh, thank you to our creators on Etsy for giving us awesome and hilarious things to look at. And slightly less funny, but more exciting news. It's exciting for anyone who knows things about 40K. (laughs) A new book is coming out, and I personally may honestly pre-order it. It's called Creed, Ashes of Cadia. Now, Crit, I vaguely went over the fall of Cadia from where the planet was exploding, and they were screaming like the planet fell before the guard did. Those guys. There was one famous person who fought an orc an orc war boss survived and was then canonically made immortal because the orcs believed since he didn't die that he couldn't die recently he was thrown into the warp and he was officially classified as kia ashes of cadia is about his daughter stepping into his footsteps coming back to the ruins of cadia and finding his battle plans Oh shit! I am incredibly excited. I'm not a huge fan of the the Imperial Guard. I just in a world of fantasy, who wants to play the human? You know what I mean. But this, I'm excited about. I'm looking at this, and it one of the the special uh, the gilded edition looks very uh, pretty. Yeah. Well, it's gilded, and I'm sure it also costs 137 dollars. It doesn't, but <laughs> or fucking GW. <laughs> well, I will say. They have something special with this one. Looks like it's signed by the author. Yeah. 1,750 copies will be signed by the author. What a weird number. I know. (laughs) But link will be in the show notes. I personally, if you like to read, I personally recommend getting it. I'm very excited about this book. It's, I feel like it's gonna, the 40K lore has been very stagnant for a while. And I like that they're finally shaking things up. I hate books, but I might buy the pretty one. I'm trying to convince you to listen to audiobooks so you know some of the goddamn lore that happens. <laughs> Never! <laughs> I'll just have you tell me about it. <laughs> Speaking of telling you about things, hey, Mango, do you want to tell our listeners about our sponsors? Am I doing the sponsors this time? Uh, nope, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, now that I've 
completely demoralized you, you can go ahead and roll on over to fanrolldice.com and uh, check out some of their lovely dice they got there. They've got dice, dice trays, dice bags, dice accessories. And they even have spinner dice now, which I have one, and it's and awesome. They have dice that whenever they roll and get done rolling, they merv out and make other mini dice. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I'll send a special request to Neil and see if Hell he can get yes. that for you. Uh, so yeah, while you're over there checking out the dice, go ahead and use the promo code Almighty C ten. And get yourself 10% off at fanrolldice.com. Almighty C10. Almighty C10. And then when you're done there, you can go ahead and switch on over to nixiegaming.com and uh, use the promo code LOZLORE to save yourself 10% off on all Nintendo gaming Switch accessories that they sell. LOZLORE. Currently. LOZLORE. <laughs> I know. It's it's a different show, but it's still sponsoring our stuff. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you, you, they currently their biggest selling product right now is the Nintendo Switch GameCube controller. It is wireless. It is awesome, and it docks to your Switch like it should. I'm a big fan of docking. That's why I only have <laughs> men roommates. <laughs> Boom! But crit. There's one more sponsor. It's brand spanking new. Who's I'm that? Very excited to announce oh. this. Oh! Do you ever find yourself just tired? Like all the time we have like 90 million podcasts and I have five children. So yeah. So you're an adult. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I too find myself tired and I don't even have kids and I only have one podcast I have to care about. <laughs> Luckily the fun, fun, fabulous people of Dubby energy reached out to us and have given us our very own sponsorship. <gasps> yeah, they have, I would list them, but honestly, what I'm going to do is tell you exactly a very set amount, the number of different flavors they have. And that number is a shit ton. <laughs> it's a metric shit ton. They have like push and punch. They have galaxy grenade. No, uh, Dragonade. Dragonade. Beach and peach. <laughs> Monkey madness. Ah, uh, monkey madness. And other, does that say dumb sludge? Oh, dub, it, dub sludge. Dumb dub sludge. sludge. And other flavors like that. <laughs> Try it now <laughs> with our brand new promotion code, Fumbling4. It's so easy. It's just Fumbling4. It's so easy. A caveman can't do it because I don't want to be sued by a Geico. <laughs> <laughs> Mega kill. Uh, that's my that's my Halo voice. Mega kill. Mega kill. <laughs> so yeah, those are our sponsors. Go check them out, uh, and uh, you know, let us know what you think of them because we actually care. We actually care what you think of our sponsors, and so do our sponsors. So do it. Do it now. <laughs> do it now. <laughs> do it now. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's the end of the mid break. Old mango. But what if I had more things to talk about? Nope, doesn't matter. But I wanted to talk about... All right, Mango, it's my turn to talk. It's your turn to shut up. End call. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to talk about some things that we kind of glossed over for the, I guess, the whole big picture of the Crusades of what's leading up to the Horus Heresy. So something we glossed over was 
a class of members that are, are kind of important. And you would you would talk to me about this off recording because I was like, what the hell are these guys? And that is the remember, remember, remember <laughs> yes, these are the these are the guys that invented the the red smoky ball from Harry Potter. <laughs> well, I don't. The problem is I don't remember what I forgot. <laughs> now I remember there was a human artist, a historian, journalist who was a part of what was called the Imperial Remembrancer Order that accompanied the expeditionary fleets during the Great crusade these guys were basically they're the same as like the journalists who go into like war zones and stuff like that so you can see what's quote unquote what's really happening on the front line they spent a lot of time they were either on the front line for like during battles or they were on the actual ships and they they did it in kind of a weird way it was less about like getting quotes and stuff like that they did do a little bit of that their job was essentially they were scribes their job was to make sure that history was recorded accurately The reason they went about it a weird way is that they focused way more on paintings and things like that than actual writing out journals and stuff like that. They did get quotes and write down. It's just a lot of, at the very least, a lot of what was kept into 40K. A lot of things were lost during the Horus Heresy. Most of what was kept was actually paintings. So we don't truly know what all they managed to capture. A lot of history was lost during the heresy. Oh, but I have a list of important and notable remembrances. No such thing. As a Space Wolf player, <laughs> there is no such thing as an important remembrancer. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go over the ones that uh, did things. <laughs> okay. So the uh, first one on our list here is Serena DeAngelis. And they were a painter who served with the Emperor's Children Legion and the 28th Expeditionary Fleet. They were considered one of the most talented painters in the Imperium. And yeah, that's kind of what they were known for. Also prone to self-mutilative cutting due to the deep-rooted fear that her paintings would be viewed as inadequate so how very 2006 of her (laughs) yeah uh i will say that i found in this list that not a lot of them were really either all there or weren't really all there afterwards but it's to be understood with the shit that they saw or yes you know these were regular people that were right typically right with space marines doing space marine things not really meant for mortal eyes. <laughs> yes. And Serena actually, it's sad what I read about Serena. Basically, she unalived herself by impaling herself on the sword that took Ostian's life, which was somebody we'll get into next. <laughs> um, Ostian Delafort was a sculptor who served the Imperium's Children Legion and 28th Expeditionary Fleet as well. Known for sculpting exquisite pieces of art patronized by the Emperor himself. And this came to the attention of the Primarch Fulgrim, and that's kind of how all this came about. There was a, there's a whole drama here. He basically refused, I can't, you're going to have to help me pronounce this one, Bequa Kinska? Sounds good to me. Okay. Um, 
basically, he refused her attempts, you know, at the bump and uglies, uh, <laughs> because he had an infatuation and love for Serena. And because of all of this, he, it was, it's a whole thing. He was ironically spared from being exposed to the chaotic corruptions that the rest of the Legion had been exposed to. And long story short, he was slain by Filgrim by driving a sword through his body. And that sounds right. Filgrim was an incredibly vain person. Yeah. Uh, and he also took that sword through the, the statue that Deflower made. So brutal as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I can understand why both of these had a tragic ending, exposed to chaos, and it just, it was a whole fucked up mess. So, all right, now you're learning. Yeah, it's a whole <laughs> fucked up mess. <laughs> so the next one is Callista Harris historiographer his historian historian just historian it's just easier that way <laughs> they were also a powerful psyker and had the ability to read memories and emotions i can't talk today emotions it, emotions associated with any object they were also gifted with powerful precognitive visions she was assigned to record the deeds of the Thousand Sons Legion, but the homeworld we won't get into. Some things happened and that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one we have is Mahavsta Kalimakas. Kalimakas? Mahavsta. I can pronounce the first name. Mahavstu, sorry. Um, I can't pronounce any of the name. So Remembrancer, known as the Scribe of Magnus, personally served a Thousand Sons Legion's Primarch Magnus the Red during the Great Crusades. He also authored the esoteric work known as the Book of Magnus, and it's that we'll get into, I'm sure, when we start talking about them. Mm hmm. He also wrote the Crimson King's greatest tome of sorcery and mystic rites. So pretty important guy, that one. <laughs> <laughs> not going to go too much in more. Some of these we're not going to go too far into because it will give away a lot of storyline stuff for the particular legions in which they were attached to. So Ignis Karske, Karkese, dang, these, these are hard names to pronounce yeah these you want to talk about fantasy names yeah welcome to it <laughs> basically ignis was attached to the 63rd expeditionary fleet during the great crusades and was not one of the most upstanding men <laughs> that sounds right uh loved to drink and eat but was really good at that poetry so that was his whole job was to just write poetry on what he saw. He came to an untimely death. However, he was shot in the head by Magard's bolt pistol. It was a whole thing. And Magard planted the weapon on him to give the appearance of suicide. So I don't think honestly, I don't think I read this and any of these guys lived. Oh, no, there's a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons the remembrances don't exist anymore is because they're all dead. Mm -hmm. And what few survived pretty much became Inquisitors. Yeah. So next one we have to talk about is Afrati Keeler. 
Imagist. They escaped the 63rd Expeditionary Fleet and Horus's slaughter. So that is all I'm going to give you because that Horus slaughter, from what I read, has a lot to play into the Horus heresy. Oh, yeah. So the current known aspect of Killer is Killer is one of the earliest saints recognized by the Imperial Creed. Sounds right. So next one, we have Bakwa Kinska and was a composer and musician of Terra who accompanied the 28th Expeditionary Fleet at the request of Primarch Fulgrim. Again, not, yeah, not really a good ending for them. She was ultimately slain by Demonte. Demonte, I think was the name. I, again, I apologize. I'm butchering all of these names. But yes, she was slain by Demonte, who had possessed the body of her lead singer during the performance of the Maravigalia. Yeah, fucking slaughtered by her lead singer. I feel uh, like I, the next time we do this, we need to go through the names <laughs> together so you could practice them. Yeah, because I'm terrible at this. Uh, so I'm just going to say first names here. Mercedes. Mercedes was a journalist. Served at the personal remembrance of deeds of Captain Garvel Loken of the Luna Wolves. Did I say that one right? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I'm not judging <laughs> you. I probably wouldn't do much better. <laughs> so, long story short, we don't know what happened to her. Mercedes Alaton is one of the ones we don't know what happened after the Horus Heresy events. Uh, we have a couple more here. The next one is Patronialia. Yeah. Vivar. Vivar is what we're going to call that one. Journalist, again, arrogant scion of a Terran noble family who sought to become the Warmaster Horus personal remembrancer. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let's just talk about the fact that she really thought a lot of herself, didn't she? Old Vivar. Just a... <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> she was later killed by Horus. So, got hers, Kevin. The <laughs> the last one we're going to talk about here is Solomon Voss. Solomon was a wordsmith or author and worked on the edge of the illumination. Was one of the first witnesses to the first conquest of the Great Crusades and was known as the finest wordsmith of the ages. He was tolerated, however, amongst the elite of the Imperium because he was able to turn their deeds into words that could inflame passions and adore of men. So they tolerated him. They were like, mm, okay, because you're really good at the words, you can stay around. You speak good. Be tight. You stay around. You speak good. Voss. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to deal with Voss. I'm not going to go too much in Voss because it has a lot to do with Grey Knights, the Imperial Fist, a lot of shit going on. So we're going to leave Voss alone because that is something we're going to have to talk about in a lot of different factions. 
That's okay. Their water's not that great. Oh my God. Get out of here. So yeah, <laughs> long story short with all of this, the reason I'm telling you all of this about the Rembrandtsers is because they were important to a certain aspect. You had mentioned it before, though a lot, a lot of the history they have about the Crusades is through paintings. There are different pieces of art in which the emperor wanted to stay around music, poems, this, I love the world building that they've done here because not a lot of times when you play a a role playing game or a tabletop game of any variation, they have this level of thought into it. I will say from what I've researched, Warhammer has an insane amount of thought into their lore. Oh yeah. So a lot of it's accidental, but it is there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's the remembrancers. Next thing I wanted to talk about, you mentioned it briefly, the ships. I told everybody we were going to talk about the ships after the mid break. Here we are. These ships are decked out to fuck a motherfucker up. They, they don't come in with just a few weapons, especially from what I researched now, after the events of the Horus Heresy, these things are decked out 10 times more. Oh, yeah. So before, during the Great Crusades, I mean, they were decked out with, you know, they had warp shields and cruise missiles and all kinds, all kinds of equipment. Now, from the research, they've tripled their ammo weapons and even the contents in which they carry. Some of the ships have actually increased in size from what they were during the Crusades as well. Now, what I couldn't find was what they were and what they are now. But I did, like I mentioned before, I did find the sizes of them currently amongst, you know, agreed upon amongst the fan base. I know a lot, a lot did not survive or at the very, even if they survived 30 K, they haven't survived to current. I actually don't know that there are any surviving ships. Not that I could find. Yeah. People lose ships all the time it's it's war you know and it's not like a one-sided war everybody getting slaughtered everybody out here getting killed (laughs) yeah i will say i did find a very interesting ship which i'm sure you'll talk about later the space hulks yeah that's yeah (laughs) they're warped ships warped from the chaos Yes and no. Basically what it is, is when a spaceship gets lost in the warp, or if several spaceships get lost in the warp, they all kind of come together and form this like amalgamation of bullshit. And that is a space Hulk. Ah, okay. That would explain the weapons and stuff that I've saw on some of them. Yeah, they are commonly used by three individual factions. Chaos will board them and use them as actual ships because duh. Tyranids will board them, not necessarily to use them as ships, more as like a staging area while they just kind of float around and things like that. Mm -hmm. And orcs will use them because they'll just show up and be like, that's a big ass boat. It's mine now. (laughs) It's mine now. (laughs) So of that being said, I do want to go a little bit more in depth of the weapon systems. We're bouncing back and forth here. We got to the, their sizable ships. There's these are decent sized ships. They are decked out to the max. 
with weapons. The Some of the weapons we have, we have weapon batteries and we have macro weaponry. So the weapon batteries are usually are the primary armaments of most Imperial warships. These are your your starship hull guns. You know, these are the port guns, the launch systems, the turrets, weapon housings. These are your typical weapons. So the weapons are plasma projectors, close range missile launchers, laser cannons, rail guns, fusion beamers, graviton pulsars. And that's pretty much it right now. So these are increasingly accurate from what I found. The more and more we go into the 40K, they will become more and more accurate and they can fuck a motherfucker up. These weapon batteries can. Hence the name batteries. Something I forgot to mention earlier is that during the crusade and a little bit into the heresy, this, I need to correct myself from the last podcast. This was considered the golden age of technology because the emperor was leading the charge Mm -hmm. with the Adeptus Mechanicus. New technology was being invented, improved upon. And then once the emperor went back to earth and everything happened after the Horus heresy, things became stagnant. So currently in the 40K universe, well, up until recently, because things have, like I said, things have finally started to move forward. They were using the exact same technology for over 10,000 years. It was considered blessed by the emperor and everything else was heretical. New technology, heretical. Alien weaponry, heretical. Only the technology that the emperor approved of was used. So if you lost a gun in a battle, they would try and pick that. They would basically try and pick that gun up and it would be it would keep being repaired and used for 10,000 years. If they bothered to make a new gun, it was the exact same. It was just manufactured exactly the same way. Wow. So there's a lot of instances of technology just being patch jobs because everybody's like, like after the events of 30K and everything, we lost the ability to make this. So we just keep doing patch jobs. Well, and actually I was going to get into that because there's one particular piece of macro weaponry that actually has been lost 100% to the forces of chaos. That would be the the Hecutor pattern plasma battery. So just a quick notes thing. They refer to their different types of things as patterns. So if if you have, let's say you have a an M16. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's more complicated than this, but in layman's terms, you shorten that down, make it slightly more tactical. It's an M4. Okay. That's the difference in patterns. Instead of it being M16 and M4, it's jerry pattern is the m16 and and terry pattern is the m4 it's just the different way they make things so that would make sense why they have the stygies pattern bombardment cannons Mm -hmm. okay so okay so there we go we got we got a little lesson on patterns here (laughs) so anyway the 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 plasma battery it was basically an ancient variant of the plasma macro weaponry that refocuses the power of a plasma blast and compresses it to be fired over extremely long distances. Fun fact about plasma. To Again, a quick note, just going to hop in here just because this is just fun. It's considered incredibly dangerous. It's considered one of the most powerful weapons in anyone's arsenal. I should say in humanity, both chaos and 
regular humanity's arsenal, although it is feared by Xenos races as well. When I say dangerous, it has a habit of exploding in your face. It's represented by, like in the game, if you roll a one, the gun will not fire, it'll explode and you take damage. Jeez. That's because plasma is considered an unstable source. That makes sense. I mean, that also makes sense as to what I was talking about here, which is they've pretty much lost this particular battery. And it is they still have some, but they've pretty much lost them because a lot of the ships that were equipped with them were on heretic vessels and they were lost to the forces of chaos. To my knowledge, the warp smiths of the chaos may be able to create them, but the Mechanicus and similar forces on the Imperial side probably no longer have essentially the blueprints. And that's where I'm getting at, where it's just patch jobs. We don't want to lose this plasma battery because it's one of like 16 left in our fleets. Yep. Yeah. And it even says here that they can't make any more. And the oldest Imperial vessels usually have these equipped. And or they'll find them on old heretic vessels that, you know, that they may stumble across. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go too much into the other guns. They're, they're, they're guns. I mean, they're large and they go boom. <laughs> then they go boom. Yeah. You've got different. I mean, it's pretty much in the name bombardment cannons. They, they, I mean, it's literally just air support. It, they're bombardments. They just fucking everything. Air to ground stuff. Yeah. Lancers. They're, they're lances. They literally just right through something. They're, they're you're basically, intense. You're basically yeah. a weapon. Yeah, they're intense. Torpedoes, explosive, you know, they're torpedoes. What I really want to get into here is you have, well, you talked about it before, was the, you said the Nova Cannon, wasn't it? I just said nuke, but the Nova Cannon, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're destructive. They're fucking destructive. Yeah. They don't use these often. Uh, because if you use it, that's whatever you're shooting it at is gone. And typically they don't want that. The Imperial forces are usually more of the capture or in certain circumstances where these, the ships are equipped with this, these ships are the ones that they're going to take to capture usually because these are your larger vessels. Now everybody has one, but the ones that really fuck a motherfucker up are usually on your capture ships. Yeah. Because it's kind of the last ditch effort. If you can't capture them, just fucking blow them sky high. This is the big red button that needs two keys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about here is the defensive systems you'll find on some of these ships. Void shields, they're here to protect, obviously, from fire, but they're also there to protect you from the void itself. Mm-hmm when you're traveling through the warp and everything else is there to protect the ship and all of its contents. The armor that is equipped on these ships is massive. It's dozens of meters in depth. It has three separate heavily reinforced adamantium hull layers. Okay. If you know anything about good old Marvel, you know adamantium ain't shit you want to fuck with. They got three layers of this shit and dozens of meters thick. The, yeah, you're you get hit by this ship even head on, you're getting fucked up. 
And the best part is, in the 40k universe, that may as well be paper mache. And see, that is what surprises <laughs> me. This fucking surprises me. Uh, the next thing and last thing I want to talk about with these ships is the propulsion systems. So, this is what really got me. Every Imperial starship is equipped with a fusion-based plasma drive mm-hmm. for normal propulsion. <laughs> what? <laughs> we don't like to use plasma weapons, but we're sure as fuck going to use it for our engines. Now, in their defense, plasma is considered unstable when you fire it because it's hard to focus it in a direction or something. I'm sure there's a bullshit fantasy science explanation. <laughs> using it in a drive, though, it's in a contained space. You're not really using it to... You're not trying to push it outward or anything. You're using it as an energy source. If I had to guess, I haven't exactly done a ton of research about how 40K spaceships operate. I'm not an engineer in real life. I'm not going to pretend to be one in a fake world. But I imagine it would be easier to contain the plasma than it would be to hold it in a little pistol and make it go pool in that way. Makes sense. The last propulsion system that they usually have equipped on these ships is warp drives. And that is to warp you from real space to the immaterium. However, these are the ones you have to be careful of because if a warp drive becomes unstable, it causes a warp rift. Not as fun as it sounds. No. (laughs) This completely destroyed a fleet of behemoths during the Battle of McCraig in the first Tyrannic War. It completely destroyed a fleet. Behemoths are gigantic Tyranid forces. Yeah, so fleet of those motherfuckers destroyed after an unstable warp rift. It will literally destroy an entire armada. These, the, yeah, it's it's nuts. I, I actually got to see artists on YouTube render one of these. It was pretty cool. <laughs> it was I was like fuck <laughs> they were like a nuke does this much damage a warp drive that becomes unstable does this and it like leveled like <laughs> fucking three earths it was ridiculous I was like my god so yeah that's a little bit about our ships now that's again this is the imperial navy ships these are the ships that mankind is using other ships will be equipped with other things some of them, most of them will be equipped with similar things, but, you know, that's kind of what it uh, is. Similar, I'm, I just, yet again, quick notes, similar-ish. Like I said, the Aldara use the webway. They don't use mm-hmm. warp drives. They don't need them. The orcs don't give a shit. <laughs> Imagination. Yeah, they kind of just ride whatever wave they appear on. If they land in the warp, they're very happy because they like to fight, so they just fight everything until they get back out of the warp. Fuck it up. Tyranids. <laughs> Tyranids actually don't fast travel at all. They just float through space until they get to where they're going. And then eat it. (laughs) And then eat it. (laughs) Everything's got something similar, but a fun fact about 40K is nobody's using like the same. Everybody has their own special little toys. Which I thought was pretty fucking cool, honestly. Agreed. So that is all I got because I am going to, I was going to go over the legions that were involved during the crusades fleets 
Yeah, sorry. I was going to go over the fleets. I get fucking too many. Yeah, <laughs> I am not going to do that because I was looking at a lot of them and it has a lot to do with the Horus Heresy. Very specific instances. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. so we instead, what we start e- talking about. Yep. Exactly. So instead, I'd like to ask you, Mango, since we I'm done now and we're at the end of the show. <laughs> who are we going to specifically focus fire on first when we talk about the Horus Heresy and factions involved i've been thinking about it a lot honestly because we kind of talked about it and we we decided to talk about this going through these faction based instead of continuing on with like a timeline type deal and honestly we've talked about it before we were excited to do it before we brought up 30k we're gonna do the largest battle of the crusade first I'm going to go over the orcs and the wah that started it all. (laughs) Wah! Starting this moment right now, all orcs no longer have a deep cockney accent. They all sound like Waluigi. (laughs) Wah! 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 Oh, God. All right. So we're going over the wah that started it all. The wah that started it all. And the orcs. And yes. The 30K verse. Let's yep. go. Imagination time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's it. So, Mango, do you want to sign us out? Absolutely. This is Naked Mango, Star Child, signing off. Goodbye, Space Cowboy. <laughs> also, don't forget. Hit me up on the Oops I Fooked Up server on Discord. Hit me up on Twitter if there's anything you have any grievances over with me talking about or you think I said something wrong and I need to correct. Let me know. We're all learning this together. Thanks again for joining us. Have a pee for Papa's Day. (laughs) And goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the Warhammer Lorecast. If you like the show, please leave a five-star review. Tell a friend. That's how we grow. And stay tuned on that Patreon coming soon. And finally, shortly within the next week, we'll have our Twitter up and running. Make sure you reach out to us. Tell us what you think. And of course, show us those armies. Until next time, dear listener. Remember, in the 41st millennia, there is only war.